Hey, everybody, before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to make sure you're following Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. We're on Facebook under that name. We're on Instagram and Twitter under Testis Cancer. That's T-E-S-T-E-S Cancer, C-A-N-C-E-R, which I'm very sure that you know how to spell at this point. So make sure you give us a follow if you're not already so that when we post new content or post reminders for your monthly self-exams, you can be the first one to see it. Thanks so much. Let's get into the episode. The stories shared on It Takes Balls are unique to the individual sharing. Always speak with your trusted medical provider for treatment options specific to you. Welcome back to It Takes Balls, presented by Testicular Cancer Awareness Foundation. Today, I'm joined by a survivor with quite a story to tell. Danny Moissanen is joining me from Washington. Danny, thank you for being here. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for having me. So tell me about yourself before we get into your journey. Um, well, I'm, I just turned 35 this year. And uh, I grew up in Washington. I've traveled all over the country. Um, I've been as far as far east as Indiana. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just I, I'm married. I have uh, a three-month-old pug named Odin. I have a cat that we rescued from our, our carport area. And then we have a dog uh, that we've had. She'll be eight this year. And she's been a, a real lifeline in our relationship. So that's awesome. It's cool. We were told early on that we couldn't have kids even before I got diagnosed. So we've always just had the fur babies. Well, everybody loves fur babies. So that's perfect. That's all you need if that's all you want. Um, so you have, we were talking a little bit before we started, uh, you've had quite a journey with your testicular cancer battle. So just go ahead and dive in and start from the beginning. Gosh, um, I did the, the beginning, the middle and the end all kind of blur together, but, uh, I'll start from the beginning as I know it. Uh, in February of 2019, uh, I started working for a, uh, big box hardware store one of the big two and um, everything was going awesome. My wife started working there about a month later um, and everything was going great. I was working in the flooring department. My wife was in home decor. Um, I was learning how to drive machines. I was learning how to use the equipment. I was getting ready to get my forklift certification and in about June um, May or June, I noticed one, I was calling in a lot. I was having a lot of sick, sick days and clothes were starting to feel really uncomfortable. Um, I've never been a fan of underwear, if you will, but even just wearing pants was becoming really a problem. And I was starting to sit on them. If you, if you catch my drift, I was starting to sit on them a lot more when I go to sit. So in July, my wife convinced me to finally go to the ER. And uh, it, that, that was a night that I'll never forget because we went in and um, first I got to back up and say that it was my right. It was my right one, old righty. And he was, he was about three or four times bigger than he should have been. Um, the easiest way to describe it to people if they ask is it was like somebody trying to shove the square block in the round hole. Um, 
when we were kids, there was the circle, the square, and the triangle. And somebody tried to shove the square in sideways in the circle. It was not the way that they should have felt. So I went to the ER, and they immediately gave me an ultrasound. The second the image came up on the screen, uh, it looked like a like a lace doily. Uh, it was just little black spots absolutely everywhere. It was like somebody had cut a hole in a sheet and just ripped a bunch of different hole size, different size holes in it. Um, there's actually a specific term on Google they use called starry night is, is what the ultrasound image looked like. And the second my wife saw it, uh, she called my mom. When they brought in the ultrasound machine, I looked over at my wife and I was really scared and I use humor to deflect everything. Mm -hmm. That's that's. And I was convinced that if this was bad, I wasn't going to let humor uh, be my humor was going to save me. And I looked at the ultrasound tech and I said, oh, we get to find out if it's a boy or a girl. <laughs> and my wife started laughing hysterically. I started laughing. The ultrasound technician did not crack a smile. Yeah, I said the same thing to mine. I didn't think they thought it was funny either. He had no sense of humor uh, about it whatsoever. And uh, after he started looking at it, he turned on the the audio uh, so they could do this like boo, boo sound. And the second he turned on the audio, I said, we get to hear its heartbeat too. And, you know, again, I thought it was the fun. I thought I was hilarious my wife thought i was hilarious the ultrasound technician like, did not think it was hilarious and i looked at him and i said you know bro you really need to laugh right now because what i'm seeing on that screen is really scary and i just i need somebody to to laugh with me he didn't um i had to go it was a month later i had my orchiectomy my orchiectomy was on july 9th so between July 9th and July 2nd, um, I had already met with my urologist and my urologist said the words that no man ever wants to hear, you know, it's cancerous. And uh, so they went in. I mean, it was a week, like I said, between me going to the ER and me actually getting my orchiectomy. Um when I was originally diagnosed um, and started seeing my oncologist, um, he told me it was stage one and that my AFP, which is alpha theta protein, it's one of the tumor markers that they use dealing with cancers and especially testicular. It may be involved in other cancers as well. Um, is never supposed to be higher than two. Uh, the first time I met with my oncologist, they were at, uh, 156. Um, and he said, you know, we gotta, we gotta do this surgery. And, uh, at that point he said there was going to be no need for chemo. We were going to be okay. So I had my surgery and I started taking synthetic testosterone really strong stuff. It would, I would rub it on one arm one day and the next arm the next day, my wife could touch it with her bare hands. Um, it looked and smelled a lot like, um, uh, hand sanitizer. 
Hmm. Um, and it just came in a little packet and I'd rub it on. And, uh, I went to see my oncologist a few weeks later and my alpha proteins had shot up to over 400 and something. And I think that the synthetic testosterone had a lot to do with that because there were four different tumors that they found in my, in my biopsy. Um, and I bear with me. I don't remember all of them. It was a 50% yolk sac tumor. And then it was 25% teratoma and 25% something else. And there was something else that it was too. Two of them were really aggressive and two of them were really rare. So when I went in, my numbers were that high. My oncologist said, we have no choice but to start chemotherapy. Was the testosterone something that um, you had requested or was that something that your urologist had said would be a good idea? It was something that me and my wife had talked about because I wasn't sure how having old righty removed was going to affect you know, moods and um you know, in the beginning, you don't really have any answers for anything. Um, the doctors and the nurses all told me, you know, we don't, we don't know what to tell you to expect because it's different for everybody. Um, it was, so it was something that me and my wife had talked about doing to kind of maintain um, just, you know, day to day. Um, turns out you don't need it. To all your listeners, it's not... You don't need to. Um, you can have a perfectly functioning day-to-day life. I can still grow a beard. I can still grow facial hair. I can still do all of that. Um, so yeah, people people who are listening and not watching, Danny's got a gnarly beard. <laughs> uh, thank you. My wife grew it herself, and I have to compliment my wife because. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll come back around to it. But when I got out of chemo, um, I looked like Mr. Clean. I didn't have any facial hair. I didn't have eyebrows. I didn't have hair on top of my head. I had no body hair pretty much. And uh, I was probably as aerodynamic as you could get in a pool. Uh, I could have dove into a pool and just slip slurring to the other side. Um, but going back to the story, in October, I had to have a port installed, um, and I actually still have it in. Um, and um, I started my first round of chemo November 4th. Um, and so my chemo rotation, I did, it was, it was four rounds the first time. I did a week every day um, of BEP, which is uh, bleomycin the Atapo side and the cisplatin, um, three of the really big uh, chemo drugs that they use. I've noticed a lot of your listeners or, or your, um, the people that you have on the show are familiar with that. Yes. Um, and so Monday through Friday, every day I had chemo. And then Saturday and Sunday I'd have off. Monday I'd go back for a round. I have nothing Tuesday through Friday, go back on Monday, nothing Tuesday through Friday, and then go back Monday through Friday. And I did that four times. So you had four uh, rounds of BEP versus the three. I, the first four rounds I was in chemo were, were, yeah, four rounds of the BEP. 
Uh, and I did that between November 4th and it was probably January ish. Cause in January is when I went to the hospital. Um, I had gone in for scans after my last round of chemo and we'd gone home for the day and my oncologist nurse called my wife and said, you need to bring him back to the hospital. And she was like, well, what's wrong? We just got home. And she said, no, you need to bring him pack an overnight bag. You need to come back to the hospital. We already have a bed for him. And so when I got to the hospital, um, they told me that there was something they had noticed in my heart. They didn't know what, um, they didn't know if it was a tumor associated with the cancer or what, but on my atrial side of my heart, there was, there was something that had, that was not supposed to be there. And so I spent three days in the hospital on a heparin drip. Heparin's a blood thinner for those of you that don't know. And they use it a lot in hospitals, especially for chemo patients to help keep the port clean um, so that they can continue to use it. And so I spent three days on heparin and then they let me go home. In March, I was cleared for the first time. My oncologist told me they didn't see anything. I was good to go. Um, that was March 9th. I almost was able to get a job. Four days later, COVID started and it shut the whole world down, as we all know. Here we are two years later. Um, and so that was, that was March 13th that COVID started, four days before my 32nd birthday. Um, my birthday is St. Patrick's Day. What a great way to spend your birthday. Um, in June, my care was moved to the University of Washington Montlake Terrace. Uh, the f initial part of my care was taken by care of by Skagit regional centers in Mount Vernon, Washington, bless their hearts. I probably wouldn't be alive if it weren't for the nurses at that point. Shout out to the uh, nurses. Shout out to all of the nurses. Uh, in fact, all of this made my wife want to go back to school. Uh, and she wants to get her nursing degree and specialize in oncology. That's awesome. Um, so we're keeping our fingers crossed that when everything is good again, that's what we can do. Yeah. My fiance is a, is a nurse and it takes a very special person. I, my, my wife has worked uh, in healthcare, not really officially, but she was, she was an in-home care aide for years, took care of aging and elderly patients. And she's worked in lots of uh, homes for, for aging. Um, so she she's got the heart for it. I I don't it was I don't know if anybody else in my family would have dealt with the stuff that she dealt with while I was going through chemo and all the surgeries and all of that. Um in July of 2020 the cancer came back and so I had to like I said have my care moved to the University of Washington um the UW in Seattle Montlake. And uh, July 2nd, I started chemo um, round five. And then um, that was VIP, which is 
still the cisplatin and still the atopicide, but instead of the bleomycin, I was given uh, a phostamide or a phostamide, I think is what it's called. It's an interesting um, Yeah, drug. I won't try to pronounce it either. I think it's a phosphamide. Don't, don't, yeah. don't quote us. Yeah, no, don't, don't, please. Um, and that was a unique situation because me and my wife lived about two and a half hour drive from the clinic that we had to, uh, my parents moved us out to my great grandparents old farmhouse. So the house we were living in an apartment and paying $895 a month for 300 square feet, which is just ridiculous. Um, it's impossible to live. And if you haven't tried, I don't recommend it. I'd rather do tiny home living. Um, and so we got moved out onto five acres and, but that's two and a half hours from the U dub. So when I had to go to chemo, my mom would have to drive down and then drive me back to Seattle. And then I would stay in the hospital for a week because I was in COVID. I wasn't allowed to have visitors. Um, I could talk to my wife on the phone, but man, I'll tell you, if you've never gone through chemo um, and not been able to see or talk to your family while you're sitting there having all of this garbage pumped through you, um, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my entire life. Uh, there were nurses and doctors ever around me all over the place, and I've never felt so lonely in my entire life. So that was really hard, and I had to do three rounds of that in Seattle. Um, and coming home to five acres was the best feeling uh, in the world, and I probably contributed to me getting healthy again. Uh, so in September of 2020, uh, I, I did my last round, and my oncologist said that I was good. And I'm here we are. I, I haven't had chemo since September of 2020. Um, still going strong. I did have to have... Um, you were asking about it. I did have to have open heart surgery in January of 2021. Um, and they cut me right down here and they went in and they removed, uh, what ultimately turned out to be, it was benign, but there at one point had been blood flowing to it. So at some point, either the chemo or I don't know where it was was fixed along the way. I, I never really heard answers from anybody, uh, but they were able to pull that out. And then in April, um, I was supposed to get an RPLND. And for your listeners that don't know what that is, uh, that's a retroperineal lymphadenectomy. And they took all of my lymph nodes from my abdomen, my back and my groin. They took them all out. And so um, <laughs> disclaimer, if you're squeamish, you may want to avert your ears for a second. <laughs> they cut my belly, they pulled my guts out, they pulled all my lymph nodes out, and then they put my guts back in and sewed me up. Um, that's all. That's all I was going to say about it. But I have a scar from just under my neck to right above my abdomen that's about 23 and a half inches. Wow. That is, that is my Iron Man scar. That is the scar I get a look at every single day 
and tell myself that I'm a warrior and, you know, I, I whooped cancer's butt not once, but twice. So I'm in year two right now of three. Um, there's typically five years after you clear cancer for testicular patients. It's typically five years they have to watch. Once you hit that five-year mark, um, it's safe to say that the cancer is gone and probably not coming back. I'm in year two. I have three more left before the doctor tells me it's gone, but I know I kicked its butt. So yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you had a a journey there. It's, you know, it's fun to talk about. Um, unfortunately I, I lost a lot of friends along the way, people that I'd been friends with for a really long time that, that didn't stick around. Um, I don't know if it was, too hard on them or cancer affects everybody differently. And that doesn't, that's not just, um, you know, people that are diagnosed with cancer. That's the friends of people that are diagnosed with cancer and the family members. Uh, when I talk, when me and my wife talk about it, we don't talk about me beating cancer. We beat cancer, you know, because it was, it was my wife's journey too. Um, she had a huge role and I need to give credit to her. Because if it weren't for her, I, I tell her this all the time. If it were not for her, I can promise you, Stephen, I would not be alive today. I wouldn't. Um, and it's strange because my uncle was actually diagnosed with esophageal cancer um, a year to the day that I was by the same oncologist. And uh, my uncle was a man. He was... He was, he was a biker and he was, he was hard and he had 46 tumors that had metastasized across his, his throat and esophagus. And he didn't tell a soul because he grew up in a generation where you didn't tell people. So I preach it all the time. Now check your boys. I'm sure you, you tell all your listeners and anybody you tell your story to check your boys, man. It's so important. Like it's, reach down, man. It's easy enough to reach down in the shower and make sure they feel right. Mm-hmm. And they're the distance apart. And you're the only person that knows what they've looked like for as however old you are. So you're the best source when it comes to these things. Back to where you were shouting out your wife. I just in the last 20 minutes, I've been talking to you and hearing your story. I think your wife is lucky to have you as well. I mean, you seem like a great dude. Uh, our story was super unique. We met processing salmon up in Alaska and uh, she was actually my boss. And that first year I went up to Alaska, I dug deep, man. I was working 21 hour days, seven days a week to process all of the sockeye that comes in through the Bristol Bay. I was working in this tiny little town in Alaska called Dillingham. And uh, I've actually stood far enough to touch the Cornelia Rose, um, the or the Cornelia Marie, the Ramblin' Rose, and the Time Bandit from Deadliest Catch. Um, they were all ships that brought us salmon during the summer, um, and then during the winter they go out and process crab. So that's that's my little brush with celebrity too. Yeah, that's really cool. That's a cool story. Okay, so let's um, get back to your cancer. So you in your submission you noted. Um, you were originally diagnosed stage one and then uh, later upgraded to stage three. I mean, what kind of mental toll does that take? 
I'll be honest. I don't remember at first. It was, it was like, you see, I, I mean, we've all seen the movies where the main uh, character is diagnosed with cancer and you hear the doctor kind of fade out background noises kind of fade out. And it just, all you can hear is the gears turning in your own head as you, as you face your mortality or, or process it. However, however you, you, you may have to. So when my numbers shot up to over 400 was when I was diagnosed with stage three. And I couldn't tell you the, the letter. I don't know. I don't know what letter it was. I know it was stage one and I know it was stage three. So it was, it was life changing, man. You just, I, I went from hitchhiking and traveling across the world and going to play. I've been to 15 of the 50 States and in one fell swoop of a second, your whole life changes everything you thought you knew. Um, early on in your podcast, one of your listeners or one of your interviewers was talking about how they were in the best shape of their life and uh, they were in the military and doing everything they needed to do. And it just, it's life changing. It's absolutely life changing. I, I don't know how I dealt with it though. My, I just kind of shut down, you know, um, ultimately I had to find therapists and, and talk to people about how it made me feel. And I, I guess the one thing that happened was I got angry. I got angry at the world. I got angry at God. I got angry at my body. I got angry at myself. Did I do something wrong? Did I not take care of myself somewhere properly along the way? Um, you know, there's a lot of things that go through your head in that moment of you have cancer. So, yeah. And then when it's upgraded, it's even, even scarier. And it all happened within about a month. So I didn't really have time to process getting stage one cancer before I got stage three cancer. And, you know, I had to have a port installed and have an orchiectomy. And I was just caught up in the whirlwind of everything that was going on. Yeah. So. I appreciate you calling back to uh, the other episode too. If anybody's listening who haven't hasn't listened, like, I think the guy you were talking about was BJ Lang. He was the first episode. Uh, and also you mentioned the RPL and D for anybody who wants more information on that. Dr. Clint Carey, we did an episode where we talked about the RPL and D and, and at length. Um, tell me about uh, your side effects that you had with chemo, if any, and then if there were any noticeable difference between BEP and VIP, because I believe you're the first person I've talked to who's had VIP. Um, I think one of the, let me, let me answer this question in stages. Um, it's a multi-part question for sure. Um, so symptoms, uh, other than, you know, the, the major ones, loss of hair, um, and stuff like that. The, the only real big, symptoms that I had was what I thought tasted good completely changed. My, my taste buds did a full 180 on me. Things that I had never eaten in my life all of a sudden sounded delicious and things that I had loved my whole life all of a sudden sounded like I just, I couldn't stomach it. Um, one of, one of the, the big things first, and it still makes me sad when I walked by it, it was pesto. Uh, pesto was the first thing to go. The smell of pesto now just makes makes me not feel well. 
And I used to love it. I used to put it in Alfredo and spaghetti and on sandwiches. And um, the one thing they told me when I got my port and started chemo was that things might start tasting metallic. Um, For me, things never tasted metallic, but because of my port, everything had this overwhelming taste of vinyl and rubber. Um, you know, when you get an IV and they flush it out and you can taste a little bit of the saline in your lips, mm-hmm. that's that 24 seven for, for everything you're doing. Cause the port is much larger. It's basically an artificial vein that they're putting in your body so that they don't, if they had put all of those chemo medications through my veins and my arms, I would probably be mistaken for a drug addict. Um, I just, it would destroy my, my veins as is just getting blood work every Monday, absolutely obliterated the vein in my left arm. Uh, You can't find it anymore. He, he doesn't even come out, but yeah, that was, that was the biggest thing was that things just started tasting different. Uh, they tasted like rubber and vinyl. I would drink water and I could taste rubber. I would eat something and I could taste rubber and vinyl. Um, as far as differences between VEP and v- VIP, the biggest difference was because we were in a pandemic, I wasn't able to have my loved ones near me. So sitting in the hospital, you know, I, I had to have 17. Yeah. You heard that correctly. 17 COVID tests for through that time. Cause I had to have COVID tests before I went up to chemo. I had to have COVID tests before all my surgeries. Um, there were multiple times they, they had to give me a COVID test in the hospital while I was in chemo. Um, and so that was, that was tough. And I think that was unique to a pandemic. Um, pandemic restrictions. I don't think there would have been a whole lot of difference if, if I had been able to have my family as far as like how sick I got and the nausea and all of that stuff, all chemo is, is, I mean, they're basically trashing every cell in your body, including the cancer so that all of the good cells can grow back. So I mean, the sickness that comes with that is uh, the big thing was feeling like there was a a big pit after chemo in my stomach. I would lay on my stomach and I could feel it sloshing around. Mm. With the 17 COVID tests, we're lucky that our nostrils don't close up the way your vein is now lost because that would be crazy. The first one that I ever had to get was probably the worst. Cause I had no idea what to expect. And I think people had probably only been giving them at that point for about a week and a half. So, I mean, they, they were, uh, the first time I had one was probably April, 2020. So I had to go up and have scans at Skagit after COVID started and I was getting COVID pokes for those. So if I remember correctly, wasn't Washington like one of the first places that COVID really started breaking out? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the West Coast is 
kind of was a, was a big conglomeration. We, we like to party out here on the West coast. We like to hang with our neighbor and, um, I'm in Seattle, Washington, or the, the closest big city to me. Um, I'm actually Montesano, Washington is, is where I live. Uh, fun fact, I'm about a 15 minute drive from the house that Kurt Cobain grew up in, um, in Aberdeen, Washington. It's just sold on the market for like two point something million a few years ago. Cheap. Why'd it go so cheap? I don't understand. Um, okay. Um, how has survivorship been for you? For me, I feel like I, I get a second chance. I feel like I'm honestly, as a survivor, I feel like I enjoy life more. Um, it's maybe because I, before you stare your mortality down, you might take advantage of life, but I wasn't guaranteed to see my 33rd birthday wasn't guaranteed my 34th birthday. So this year I got to celebrate my 35th birthday, happy and healthy. And I, it's, it's amazing. Um, I'm vaccinated now. Um, me and my wife waited and they rolled out vaccinations. And once the FDA said, Hey, let's vaccinate. You can vaccinate. We did. Um, and so now I'm looking for work I and trying to just make day-to-day life happen. Um, I don't, I don't think of myself as a survivor. I think of myself as a warrior. Um, I wear, I wear a, a Molnir, which is Thor's hammer. I wear one around my neck everywhere I go. Um, I'm a warrior, man. I'm here to fight and I'm here to fight the good fight. And, I, I want to inspire people. I want to, you know, I want to make sure that other people, uh, if they see something, they, they, they're not ashamed. You know, I think at first I was a little ashamed. It's, it's a private part of you and, and it's, it's not supposed to be something that is so widely talked about. And so I think for me being a survivor, I, I, it's kind of my goal to draw attention to that. You know, it's important to, to draw attention to things that, that aren't paid attention to as much. Yeah. Oh, you're, there's no doubt that you're a warrior. Um, I have some questions about your kind of follow up, uh, doctor appointments. One, um, the first one I want to ask is having had the open heart surgery, um, are you regularly seeing a cardiologist and is the cardiologist kind of, are they taking into account your chemo or are they mostly focused on um, the issue with your heart by itself? So um, once, once I got the RPLND or excuse me, once I had open heart surgery um, and, and got that taken care of, my, my heart for the most part is healthy. I've had several cardiologists look at it. Um, obviously it was a big thing and I need to add that, um, I actually went in for surgery twice for the RPL and D because the first time that I went in for surgery, um, it failed to happen. They got me on the table and they discovered that I had an atrial flutter. And so they couldn't operate. And so I had to have 
uh, get, get shocked and they had to go in and look at it. And then once they shocked it, they rescheduled my, uh, surgery and, and we were good to go. Um, and that was the only issue that we had after heart surgery was that one flutter. And I got shocked the one time. And like I said, I've been looked at my oncologist is my, my only, I, I, he's really my primary care. I go in and I, I see him every, I'm seeing him every six months. And then next year it'll go to every three months. And then, um, it'll get less frequent, um, as, as the years, uh, or I'll see next year. I'll see him. I got that backwards this year. I'm seeing him every three months next year. I'll see him six months. And then the years that follow, I'll go once a year and I'll have CT scans, um, all of that stuff done. In fact, I have a scan coming up here soon in the next, in the upcoming months to go make sure everything's still operating and, and doing what it's supposed to. Yeah. Best of luck with that. The reason I asked is because um, one thing that my oncologist warned me about was kind of the increased risk for heart disease, having had the chemo. So I didn't know if that was something that a cardiologist was taking into account. My other question was um, you did mention therapy. So what, how has that kind of played a role in your survivorship? Um, I think it's helped. I think having somebody to talk to um, for me, um, this is also, I, I might add, this is a form of therapy because being able to talk to someone who, who knows who, I mean, I can tell my wife about it. She was there riding shotgun by my side the whole time. But you, Steven, you've been through chemo. So you know what it feels like when those medications hit your body and you know what it feels like to lose your hair. And so talking to people with similar stories is also a good form of therapy. I think talking about things in general and not just pushing them down. I think that fear kind of comes from what happened to my uncle. Um, he, he didn't talk. He went to church and he did everything he was supposed to, but he didn't talk to, you know, he didn't talk to somebody. He, he just shut down. And I was, it was important to maintain the relationship between me and my wife. Also, um, like I said, I got very angry and for, for a while thereafter, I, even after I quote unquote got better, um, I was still kind of angry for what I had taken from me. I felt like, you know, I, I had not as many chances as somebody else. And so I was ending up taking it out a lot on my wife and that's not fair. So talking to somebody is, is, is just, I think it's so important in, in aftercare, having somebody that can talk you through anxiety um, I've dealt with depression my whole life and anxiety. It runs in my family. Um, I have family members that have committed suicide. And so it's, it's, I've been in therapy my whole life before I got sick. And, and it's just, it's something that I honestly believe that even if you don't think you have something you should have, someone to talk to having somebody to 
to punching bag and to throw ideas off of other than sometimes it can be too much on a significant other or your family or the relationship. Unfortunately, the relationship that I have with my family is not the same as it was before I got cancer. They live on the other side of the state. Um, and so we don't see each other as, as much. And those were all feelings that I had to process and deal with. And I'd much rather be happy. I'd much rather be healthy. I was given a second chance for a reason and I don't, I don't want to waste it. So doing everything I can to be healthy is, is important. And it's the therapy has been a, has been a big resolution in that. Yeah. That sounds like it's really been helpful to you. Um, tell me about what, is it her name? Mary gave you some advice. Oh, Miss Mary, my guardian angel. Um, the very first, if, if you're listening to this, Miss Mary, I told her I would let her know when the podcast aired so that she could hear this. And if you're listening, Miss Mary, I love you so much. You're a huge part of my life. And we think about you every day. This is a woman that I can promise you was sent to me for, for no reason other than I needed to not be afraid. And she is the guardian angel in my life. My very first chemo, I was sitting there and I was scared. And there was this lady sitting next to me and she was treating it like it was no thing. And the most important advice that she gave me and that I can give anybody else is that you or is that the cancer does not control you. You control the cancer. And man, I, I, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. It's I want to get it tattooed somewhere on my body because it's, the second you put in your mind, I'm in control of this, things change. If if you let yourself slip into a place where this is controlling me, it it may start to. And so in that, in that those eight words of advice, I found solitude, I found peace, I found um, you know, easy frame of mind and She's been a godsend in our life ever since. So, well, shout out Miss Mary and thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anybody else? I know you you shouted out nurses in general. Is there anybody you specifically want to give a shout out to before we kind of end the, wrap this up? Well, of course, my wife. I I could never give my wife enough praise and glory in the world if I had every day of every week of every month for the rest of my life, I could never praise this woman enough for what she's done for me. Um, so Allison, I love you. You're, you're my heart and you're my soul. Um, my buddy, Mikey, he lives in Iowa. He has been my dude and actually has done all of my tattoos. Uh, we didn't talk to each other for about 10 years. He's living in Iowa now. And, uh, He's my best bud. He's one of the few people that I still talk to through all of this. Um, like I said earlier, a lot of my friends, it was too much to handle and we don't talk anymore. Um, and of course my, my family, big shout out to them for, for sticking by my side. My mom, she, she, was, I mean, that's my mom. What can I say about my mom? If you've got a mom, you know, so those are my beats and those, those are my shout outs.
Uh, do you have any advice for somebody who might have just been diagnosed and they're searching testicular cancer on the internet and they found this podcast and they, they're looking for a place to start? What do you tell them? Take it one day at a time. Focus on the things that you can control. Don't stress on the things that you can't because this journey is not easy. The road isn't easy, but man, when you make it out the other side, you feel so good. And, and remember, Miss Mary said, cancer doesn't control you. You control the cancer. That's one of those things you can control. Danny Moisson, and thank you so much for being on It Takes Balls. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. I'll be making for making sure to listen for your name in the future when I browse on the internet oh boy <laughs> thank you i don't mean that in a bad way steven okay. for, i i trust your information though thank you thank you absolutely thank you for having me for more information and resources for your testicular cancer journey visit testiculacancerawarenessfoundation.org you can also follow us on social media at testis cancer we're on facebook at testicular cancer awareness foundation